The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. The title of the message is Loving Our Neighbor. Jesus was only here for three and a half years, and yet his goal was to save the world. Now, obviously, that could not be done if he stayed here as just one person, even though he was the fullness of the Godhead in him bodily. He didn't visit every home, even in Israel, let alone other countries and nations. Or So the plan from the very beginning was he would demonstrate the way, the truth, and the life. He would go make the ultimate sacrifice, resurrect from the dead, overcome death, sin, and the devil and pave the way for salvation and pray for us. Even this very morning, he's seated at the right hand of God, praying and interceding for his church upon the earth. But now it's up to us. We're to go out and share the good news. And the world is desperate for good news. Can I hear an amen on that? We have it. We have it. We have the good news. So uh, if you're following along in your notes, we're going to go through it quickly. Um, And here's the first one. Don't worry, the Spirit will speak through you. So Jesus' instructions for disciples, so we're not only them then, uh, but also us today. So I want to begin actually in verse 16. I know your notes say 18. I'm going to go back to verse 16 to catch the flow. He said, behold, I'm going to send you guys out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So therefore, you're going to need to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the nations or the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now, brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved." When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, this is very interesting. The the atmosphere of this section of teaching is different than in the previous section. Jesus starts speaking about persecution, even as he sends the twelve out. But we have no record of that. Uh, that when the twelve went out and started sharing the gospel of peace right at that moment, we have no record that they suffered uh, in that way during their outreach. It's also different because in verse 18, if you'll notice, Jesus speaks of the ministry to the nations, to the Gentile nations. Well, wait a second. Just uh, a few paragraphs ago, he was saying, I want you to stay. Uh, don't, Don't go anywhere else. Go here locally to the Jewish people, the twelve tribes, and of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now he's talking about going to the nations of the world. 
Another interesting thing we notice is in verse 20. The Holy Spirit has not yet been given. Jesus hasn't resurrected, and and Pentecost hasn't happened. The Holy Spirit's not inside. And yet in verse 20, Jesus says, don't worry about what you should say, because the Spirit will give you the words right as that moment happens. And then in verse 22, we notice it's different because it seems to speak of a global or worldwide persecution against the message of the gospel. And yet the disciples were ministering in their own land. And finally, in verse 23, Jesus speaks about his return. He's talking about the second coming. Uh, So what what I want to suggest to you is that while Jesus gave the address to the, the local disciples then, in his mind he was actually speaking to the generation of the church of the last days. These, what he is describing, the world he is describing as a world where we have the Holy Spirit, uh, where there is global persecution, where there's going to be a lot of chaos and a lot of different things that are going on. So I believe these instructions apply specifically to the generation of believers who are witnesses of the gospel during the last days. And I also want to say very simply, clearly, and directly to you, I believe we're living in the last days. How many feel that? All right? Now, let me, let me say this. We don't know the day or the hour. And, you know, tragically, there are still people that are figuring it out. You can go online, and there are people that will tell you the day and the hour. And I always get so perturbed when they… I get mad when they do… Like, don't pick a day. Jesus said, and this is the interesting thing, He said, I don't even know the day I'm coming back. Only my Father knows the day or the hour. That's out of Jesus' own mouth. And the reason for this is the whole story of a Jewish wedding, which we don't have time to go into right now, but, you know, Jesus was Jewish, and He was raised in a Jewish culture, and God used that culture to be the clothing that He would share the truths in. And for those of you that have never heard this before, let me let you in on a little secret. In a Jewish wedding, uh, the bride nor the bridegroom gets to pick the day or the hour of their wedding. You say, what? They have, the, they have a time, and they know when it's going to get close, but guess what? It's the bridegroom's father that gets to pick the day. You say, well, what's he waiting for? Well, here's the deal. In the olden times, the, the bridegroom, son, had to build his bridal house that he and his wife would share. Uh, but they left it up to the bridegroom's dad to say when it was good enough. Because if you leave it up to the son, he'd throw up a pup tent, say, let's get married tonight, and on we go, right? <laughs> like, no, 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 you're going to build a real house, it's going to take you about a year, you're going to get foundation and rooms and stuff. And so, so the son is constantly going to, is it good enough? Is it good enough, dad? And so when it's basically all done, everybody starts building an excitement. The bride's on the other side of town. She knows the house is basically done, so she knows it's going to be any day now, starts having slumber parties with her girlfriends. And the son is going, dad, dad, dad. And he goes, well, you could do sure, this out a little bit or whatever. And then one night, usually in the middle of the night, the dad goes to the son like a surprise and goes, okay, son, tonight's the night. You can go get your bride. And they start yelling, shouting, hooping and hollering. What did Jesus say? For the Lord himself to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And then we shall arise and be with the Lord. So Jesus is waiting for the father. So we don't know the day or the hour, but... We know that the house is getting ready, so it could be at any moment or any time. Now, here's what Jesus, you know, here's kind of the heart of it, if you want to look back at verse 20. 
This very this is one of the most key things he said to the believers who would be alive within the vicinity of kind of the last days scenario. He said you're going to be you're going to find yourself in situations in your daily life where an opportunity will come where somebody that is lost, that's not a believer, that's suffering, that's broken, that's hurting, and they know that you're a believer and you have something they don't and they say tell me about it. What you know, help me. Uh, I don't know what to do. What have you got? You seem to have something I don't have. Share with me. And then you're put on the spot. And and so what Jesus is saying is don't worry. Don't freak out. The, the, it's not something you need to prepare for like a test. Just live your life. Walk daily closely in fellowship and intimacy with me. And I'll tell you what, when that moment comes where all of a sudden a son, a daughter, a spouse, a friend, uh, a neighbor, uh, somebody that you know, and they come and they say, I need help. What have you got? Here's what Jesus said. Just open your mouth and start talking, and the Holy Spirit will give you in that moment exactly what to say. Now, this is very exciting. I know that there are many of you who have had this experience where you're kind of thrust into a situation, and then all of a sudden, you just open your mouth and you start talking just because they asked you a question and you start talking. And the next thing you know, you're saying stuff and you're remembering things you didn't even know you knew. And you're, you're kind of sharing with them and you're going in this direction. Have you ever had it where it's, it's so good? You're kind of sitting over here going, man, that is good. <laughs> where are you getting all that stuff from? You're like, I don't know, but you're talking, right? Because it wasn't a planned speech. It's not like some little prepared track. This is life flowing out of you. The Holy Spirit in you is ministering to them. Don't worry about it. The Spirit will be there. Uh, so it's almost like we're a bystander. When the Lord takes over and the Spirit works in power, it's awesome. Now, let me make another quick little point in these verses. The last days, which I believe Jesus is specifically referring to, giving some you know, hints and encouragement to those believers, which I believe very much to be us. The last days are described as a time of both great opposition, intense opposition, spiritually, and yet great opportunities. The tribulation period will be a time of intense opposition, obviously with the Antichrist and the whole thing that happens at the end. Uh, God's sheep will be like sheep among wolves, It'll be a time that you need to be both tough-minded in the truth, not compromising it, and yet tender-hearted, compassionate, loving, and being able to minister to people. The opposition we're told that will come against us is number one, number one opposition against the real gospel, organized religion. We'll try to sideline that in some way, just as the organized religion or the Pharisees tried to come against Jesus and he was the Messiah. Secondly, governments. Uh, Verse 18 talks about you'll be coming and they'll be questioning because, you know, fine, you can believe whatever you want, but you start impacting us, now we're going to get into the ring and go to blows with one another. And then even family, in verse 21, it can bring some opposition in the family. Don't get discouraged and don't give up when you see opposition. There can be breakthroughs. But we have to realize it's not just winning on a human level. We have to go back and really pray. We need spiritual wisdom, spiritual insight, 
We're not fighting with people, but we're resisting the enemy and his lies and his oppression, his darkness, his anxiety, his fear, all of those spirits, so that we can bring the truth. The truth is what will set you free. Truth liberates. Truth delivers. Truth brings the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace. Amen? So at the same time, not only is there going to be opposition, and we see that happening today, at the same time, the last days will be a time of the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the entire planet Earth of all time, the greatest harvest of all time. In fact, in the end, in the book of Revelation, it says, with all those judgments and bowls and seals and trumpets and everything, there's also going to be a mighty outpouring of the Spirit. So many people get saved, it says they could not even be numbered. Now, let me put that in perspective. Because the book of Revelation does give some numbers. One of them is the last days the kings of the east come to the battle of Armageddon and they are 200 million strong. That's a number. But when it comes to how many people in the world get saved before the very end and Jesus comes, it's it's beyond being able to number from every nation, every language, every kindred, and every tribe. What I really believe is that billions of people will come and be delivered and saved in the end before Jesus comes. And I think we're living in some pretty exciting times. So I wanted to go to this scripture. I know we share it now and again, but the reason for this is I believe we're living in the days of this prophecy being fulfilled. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Let's read it out loud. I will pour out my spirit... On all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I think that we're living in these days of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And probably, um, I want to just let you in on, because now because, you know, social media, internet and everything, I get to hear things of what God is doing. And probably you're not as familiar, so I'm passing on to you some inside information. Okay, let's, let's look south, starting right here at our border, Tijuana, going down through Mexico, Central America, all the way down to Latin America. You may not be aware of this, but it's not that hard to find God is moving mountains. God is moving people. God is moving hearts. There, there is so many people that are being saved, so many people that are coming to the Lord. It's literally af- affecting entire nations. God's love for the Latin American people, man, it's on. It's happening right now, and it's spreading. What God is doing right now in the continent of Africa, this has been going on for quite some time. Uh, and, and it's like, you know, the Lord has, you know, like this glass of the Holy Spirit, and you just go, whoosh, and it'll go over several countries, not just individual countries, but it'll go over several countries in the continent of Africa, and villages and towns and whole places will come to the Lord. God does signs and wonders and miraculous things and meets them in a dynamic way because of all the voodoo and the occult and the witchcraft that is there. Man, it's, it's, it's on. And there are multitudes that are coming to the Lord in Africa. Then you go to Asia. Man, God, is, His Spirit is moving mightily. Maybe one of the countries more than anywhere else has been in China, the largest country on the planet. There has been a move that's been going on for the last over a century 
There are more born-again believers in China than in the United States of America. God has his hand upon that nation. God has his fingerprints. He's working in a dynamic way, and not just China. In Singapore, in Japan, in different places that God is moving in unique ways, and on up, and then you come to the Middle East. This, this maybe is the biggest one of all. Because the gospel, when it got started, it started in Jerusalem, and it kind of went west, you know? And then it just kept going around. Well, now it's coming back up, you know, it went through Latin America, Africa, Asia, and now it's coming through the 1040 window and all those Muslim countries on its way back to where it all started in Jerusalem. And right now, in country after country, all of those who are our brothers and sisters, who are laboring and who are working and who are pastors and evangelists and so forth in all those countries… God is dropping, and I'm, it, it's, it's not just a few or here or there, but all over the Middle East and throughout the entire Muslim world, dreams and visions, and guess who is showing up? Jesus, appearing to them in their bedroom, appearing to them in their, uh, in their living room, appearing to them out in a field, uh, and they have all these visions, and then they're looking for me, tell me more about Jesus. And in, in many ways, uh, this is one of those who is sharing the gospel in one of those countries, and, and we won't mention his name, but he said pretty much, this is what my work has become. Last, you know, it used to be, wow, we're chipping away at rock, and now it's kind of like, all I got to do is, have you had a dream? Oh, yeah, you're the guy I was supposed to do. And so then he just, I just ask, have you had a dream? And there's so many that are having dreams that then it, they just share the gospel and Jesus comes to them. Can I hear an amen and hallelujah on that? God is moving. Now, right here, I want to say for you and I, how does this apply to you and I? And we've got a lot of blessings here. But there are seeds planted by the Spirit of God inside of you. We have Bibles. We have the Word. We have devotionals. And many believers are like they're filled with, with multitudes of seeds. Every truth of the Word of God is a divine seed. It's a supernatural seed. It's a powerful seed. And, the, and as you're in the Word, it's been buried within your mind and buried within your heart, just like you plant a seed in the ground. But I also want to say that there are many believers walking around and they've got all these divine seeds in them, but not so many of the seeds have germinated. And what I believe that God is now doing this very moment and this very hour this is what I'm sharing with you what I'm hearing of the Lord and from the Lord and what I am personally experiencing in my own life. God is taking seeds that are powerful and that are true and that you know them, and they're germinating. You know what I mean? When the seed cracks, it breaks open, and that green shoot comes out, and all of a sudden something from within goes up into the soil of the richness of the love of God and then penetrates the ground and gets above the earth, and all of a sudden the sun comes, you feel the warmth of it, and then you also have the rain like the Spirit coming down, and it grows into this beautiful tree or bush or, and then begins to bear fruit. Hallelujah. So I believe that God is going to begin germinating seeds. Things are going to be activated in your life. And here the way uh, it's described, dreams, our dreams and our visions. And dreams, yes, can be sometimes when you're asleep, but I want to expand the meaning of that. Sometimes the dreams that are divine that lay dormant inside of you are not just when you go to sleep, but when you wake up. And God is going to take some, it's divine ideas. I believe that we're living in the time now where God's going to be 
activating, you're going to have thoughts, and you're just going to go, wow, what a cool thought. I just had an idea. Wow, this could make a huge difference. And, and it's like God's just going to begin germinating. These seeds are going to pop. You're going to break through. In fact, I had a this is a very cool story. By the way, I'm asking for you, tell me testimonies and stories of what God's doing in your life. You know, anything that answers a prayer, breakthroughs, whatever. So I've been asking for that because I want to share them because I think it's, it's going to be like, we're going to be popping like little popcorns. This is going to be explosions all over the place. So anyway, this, this uh, you know, young lady that's at our church, she wrote me this card, and this is basically what she said, Pastor Ray, I've been going to Maranatha uh, for a few years, and I was raised in, you know, in church, and I've heard so many Bible studies, and you know, I'm a believer and kind of going along, but something recently has changed in my life. I don't know quite how to describe it, but it's like I was behind a veil, kind of a little bit suppressed, and I have broken through the veil. The veil is behind me. The fog has gone. Clarity has come. Vision is real. I am feeling the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in my life in a way that I've never felt it before. I've had a breakthrough. So that's an awesome testimony. Would you agree? So last service, I just shared that. Afterwards, this young lady comes up to me and she's crying and she goes, that was me. <laughs> I said, well, I didn't want to say your name, but she, she goes, no, it's okay. You can say, you know, my name. Her name is Tova, and Tova means good in Hebrew. Is that cool? So I believe there's going to be many stories like that where God is going to be, the Spirit is raining. Sometimes it's like rain getting saturated that the earth needs for the seed. Sometimes the sun, the warmth of the Holy Spirit, but then all of a sudden, miraculously, a divine idea. When Joel was prophesying in the last days, I'll pour my spirit out and you will have divine dreams and visions. These are divine ideas poured into your mind and they're brought to fruition that bring you into a new experience, an explosion of spirit-filled ideas for such a time as this. And I believe that's our inheritance and I believe that's what God's going to begin doing. Hallelujah. You ready? All right, so let's go on to verses 24 through 26. For those who weren't here last week, the first thing that I mentioned that Jesus told, this is, our, this is what we're called to do. We go into our neighborhoods, to our neighbors, and speak peace over them. We're to pronounce peace. Our message is called the gospel of peace. Um, it is uh, good news. That's what gospel means, good news of peace. We're to pray peace for our friends, peace over our neighbors, peace in our homes, peace over our children, peace into our neighborhoods, peace at work. And you go, well, man, my home's anything but peace, or work is crazy, or whatever. I know that. But you are a child of God. You, therefore, can prophesy in the name of the Lord. I declare peace. Especially when you see a storm. That's what Jesus did. Jesus goes to storms and he rebukes them and he commands peace and peace breaks out. We have been given that same power. He said, look, in my name, my presence, my power, and my authority, I'll drive back the darkness. The enemy must yield uh, every single time if you'll just go in my name and bring forth that love. Now, as we speak peace, and prophesy peace, and pray peace, 
and share that with our neighbors and family and friends, the next thing we're to do is find out where the pain and brokenness is. There's a storm happening with one of your kids. So what's going on? Tell me about it. Wherever you're, you know, wherever else you're going, that there's, you're declaring peace, you're battling in the spirit, you're praying, but you want to find out. So where is, where's the source of the enemy getting through? Where is the point of pain? Where is the hurt? Where is the brokenness? Jesus says here, look, you're going to, you're my students. I'm the master. So you're supposed to be just like me. The goal of every believer is to be like Jesus. Even as he came and pronounced the gospel of peace, and he pronounced peace in storms so that they turned around, not only in natural, but in people's lives, so let us speak peace into their lives. And the other thing that Jesus did, you say, well, how do I minister to the hurt, the pain, the brokenness? By listening. If you have a pen or pencil, write this thought down or write it in the imagination of your mind. Love is a most powerful way, or, or listening is a most powerful way of loving people, listening to people. Jesus asked questions. A lot of believers, we learn knowledge, doctrine, information, truth, it's all good, and then we want to go out and go, and people are like, ah, I don't want to hear that. Why? Because they're hurting somewhere. You're giving, we're and we are talking to them, and we're answering questions they haven't even asked. So how about we start with them? That's what compassion is. So Jesus, you know, I read the Gospels, and it was very, it's very funny, really, to, you know, you read him. He's like healing people. Miracles are happening. That's why people come. So there's a lame guy, and he, he's, he wants, you know, and Jesus will say, what do you want me to do for you? He's like, well, I'm lame. I'd like to walk. Then a blind guy gets some friends and he holds their shoulder. Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? I'm blind. I'd like to see. Why did Jesus ask obvious questions? Because he wanted to get to the root. He wanted to get to the heart. He, and, and sometimes we have to verbalize. It's very powerful for the people you love and care about. You want them to feel the love of God ask them and then give them a moment and focus on them and listen to them. What's hurting? Where are you hurting? What's going on in your life? And then when they start telling you, this is killing me. I am so mad right now. Tell me about it. I'm so frustrated right now. Tell me about it. I can't stand this. One person's driving me nuts. I want to hear. Tell me more. And as you listen to them, it's like, you know, a wound, it it releases the poison and the toxins. You're healing them just by listening to them. You're releasing that pain and that toxin. And then you're also demonstrating just by sitting there listening to their problems and their cries, and you're loving them. That's compassion. Jesus was great at compassion. He listened to them. He loved them. And then you know, here's what's really cool. If you listen to their questions you know how to respond, and, and you can pray for them. That's where we have been given authority to pray. I, I'm going I'm to be honest with you. I've been a Christian a long time. When I have, you know, I've done the old way, where you, you just tell them a bunch of knowledge and information, and they go, ah, and walk away or run away. And finally, I started learning that maybe I should be a little more like Jesus, a little bit slower, a little bit more compassionate, actually engage in a two-way fellowship. And so what's going on? Tell me about it. 
And as you listen to them, and all of a sudden I find out, ah, so that's the thorn. That's, that's the pain. That's what's hurting. You might have thought it was this because you've known them for a long time, and all of a sudden they come out in a moment of honesty and vulnerability. And then you, I've never one time in my entire life when I said, can I pray for that? That wound, that hurt, I, you know it, you feel it when they, when they come through and they go, this is it, this is what's, I'm afraid, my thoughts, my thinking, I'm depressed, and this, and it's all about this relationship, whatever it is, I've never one time, if I say, can I pray for that? I'm a believer. You don't have to be, but I am, I, I, and, and I want to pray. And I'll also tell you this, not only have they never denied me to pray for them, my personal experience is I've never seen or experienced more the supernatural power of God to answer those prayers. I'm just telling you, God seems to especially love to answer the hurts and the pains of non-believers in prayer of one of his sons or daughters. He's like, finally, now I can break through. And when they start feeling a little bit of relief, love, and compassion, guess what? All of a sudden, the next time you meet them, they're in a totally different frame of mind. Now they're like ready maybe to listen to a little bit more of what you got to share with them. Does that make sense? I cannot fix what I do not know is broken. I cannot fix what I do not know is broken. We need to listen to people and fellowship with them, and it needs to be two-way. Now, I want to go very, very quickly over some things (laughs) that Jesus did not say. We spend a lot of time looking at what he did say, but now I'm talking, you know, you're wanting to love your neighbors, and your neighbors don't go to church. They don't listen to Bible studies and podcasts or whatever, and so they, they have ideas of things they think. Maybe they haven't verbalized it. A lot of people think like this, and they're things that Jesus never said, all right? Number one, Jesus never said winning an argument is more important than winning the person, <laughs> but you would not know that by listening to a lot of Christians I'm going to win. No, I got one more point. No, ah, running away. And you want to tell them more. No, I can prove to you that I'm right. You can win the argument and lose the person. Anybody been there? Man, I remember the days. I won every argument and I lost every person. God taught me. Jesus never said winning an argument is more important than winning the person. Number two, Jesus never said, I love Christians more than unbelievers. But a lot of people feel that way or they think that way. A lot of Christians even act that way. But that is not true. God does not love Christians more than unbelievers. We know that. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world. It doesn't say so loved believers, so loved Christians, or so loved disciples. For God so loved the world. That's a good thing to remember. God loves your neighbor that's heathen, unsaved, radical, whatever, as much as he loves you. All right, let's go to the next one. The world will know we are Christians by our knowledge of Scripture. Wrong. We love to, you know, especially when we learn things, we're quoting verses, and we're a living tract, and and it doesn't work very well. Uh, This is, Jesus never said that. Here's what Jesus actually said. They will know that you are Christians by your love, one for another. Classic example is the story of the writer of the book we're reading. His name was Matthew. Matthew was a backslider as a Jew. 
He didn't go to synagogue or listen to Bible studies. He didn't even believe anymore. He was a sellout. He became a traitor to his own people. He joined in league with Rome. He took taxes from his people, overcharged them because he said, life is painful and short, so I'm going to get as much money as I possibly can. And Jesus came to Matthew and said, Matthew, and you know, Matthew knew, he's a prophet, he's a healer, he's kind of a righteous, holy man. And he goes, hey, Matthew, I want to break bread with you. That's all Jesus said. I'd like to have lunch with you. I want to break bread with you. Matthew's like, you want to have lunch with me? Okay. He didn't ask all those other guys. And he went in and he sat down. And in that meal, Jesus opened a dialogue and a friendship, and he won and captured Matthew's heart. All right? So here's another one. You have to belong or you have to behave before you belong. That's another classic example uh, for the story of Matthew as well. You have to behave before you can belong. No, there's no uh, pretext in any of that. Here's another one. Embracing all faiths is (laughs) Christ-like. No, Jesus never said that. That's actually not true. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8. Let's read this out loud. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Wow, the gospel is very powerful, but it's also very specific. And so Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. Here's another thing that Jesus never said. Everyone is going to heaven. (laughs) No, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, let's read this out loud. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. It's actually not a gate, it's a person. And the person has a name, and the name of the person who is the gate to eternal life is Jesus. In him and through him, but once you come through the gate of Jesus, then it opens all up to the eternal realm of the glorious kingdom of God. All right, well, let's close out this morning. Uh, Verses 27 through 31 This is kind of my paraphrase (laughs) because Jesus is again giving encouragement to believers in tough times and the last days. He wants his disciples to know this. You, no matter what happens, no matter what you hear, no matter what you face, no matter what you go through, you are going to be okay. In verse 27, Jesus said, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak it in the light. What you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows." I wanted to, what Jesus zones in here is so precious and so beautiful. Right now, God is, is looking at you. His eyes are, are gazing on you. In fact, I want to describe it this way. You know, in our lives, we've got stuff, we've got to do or whatever. Every time you look up, every time you turn your eyes toward him, you know what you're going to find? He's staring at you. He never stops. 
He never takes his eye off of you. And he knows everything about you. Now, when it says he knows the numbers of the hair of your head, yeah, he knows that. It's, you know, it's like a number that's written down somewhere, but it's more than that. He not only knows you down to the numbers of the hairs in your head, when one falls out, he goes, oh, a little hair fell out. Look at that. That's how much he's gazing. That's how much he's studying. That's how much he, and he's God, and he's good, and he's a dad, and you're his kid, and there's nothing he wouldn't do for you. And his whole purpose and motivating passion of his heart is, I'm going to use everything in my power as almighty God and the creator of the universe to take care of my kids and to love them and to bless them and let them fulfill their divine destiny that I have pre-appointed and ordained for them. Amen? So Christians are panic-prone. Have you noticed that? We're panic-prone. The same sensitivity that allows us to hear the Holy Spirit convicting us in our hearts is also sensitive to reacting to bad news. And I think that too often we're like, oh, no, did you hear that? Oh, no, did you read this article? Oh, no, what's going on? Ah! Jesus says, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid of anything. I'm in charge. I'm going to bring everything to light. The truth will come out. My sons and daughters will be vindicated. Your faith in me will prove true. I'm on the throne. I am in charge. My will shall be done, not only in the universe, but in your individual life. I have millions of angels on assignment on your behalf. When you read about what's happening in the nations, don't worry about it. The nations are a drop in the bucket for me. Don't worry about anything. Everything is going to be okay. In fact, you're going to be okay, and I will make sure of it. Amen? You're going to be okay. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this kind of, it feels like a very specialized words of encouragement. We've just begun to think about these things and stir uh, a lot of different thoughts that you have for us. We can think about it, pray about it, meditate on it. But I pray there will be some practical handles uh, that people will be able to take and put into practice in their daily lives for such a time as this. May we never be afraid to just open our mouths and let the Holy Spirit take over. Let us be a little more patient to actually not only listen to people, but maybe ask them questions so we can really find out where they're hurting, where their brokenness is. And then let us not be ashamed to say, you know what, I've got, I can pray for that, and my God is a good God, and something, you could have a breakthrough. And then we show love and compassion, and let it break through, Lord. Uh, Let there be divine ideas, divine seeds, dreams, and visions that all these seeds, let them germinate and, and come to pass. And let there be a great, mighty outpouring of your Spirit for such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, shall we? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.